All right, uh, sheets are up here. If you want to grab one, you're going you're gonna to want one because there's a lot on it. So grab one, they're right up here. And we will get started. I'm going to pray for us. And we will get started in message number two in our lesson, Romance to the Glory of God. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this morning. Uh, what a great morning it is. Looking forward to so much happening this morning we have uh, preaching on the docket, we have uh, baptism, we have worship, and beyond that we have multitude of, multitude of classes happening right now and fellowship. So I just pray that you bless our time here and that you'd give us wisdom and the ability to receive your word and, and gain clarity on this issue of romance. We thank you for the gift of romance, for the gift of marriage, and God, I just pray that you bless all the young adults who have been coming to this and hearing these messages, that you would encourage them, that you'd give them wisdom and give them hope, ultimately in Christ. And we just pray that you'd bless them for hearing and obeying your words. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I've charted out on Friday, I charted out the rest of the, the series. And we're going to do this here, uh, we're going to do this message, two more messages. The next message will be on physical attraction and physical affection. The, the next message will be, I've just entitled it, a, a, a few vital questions. And basically what I'm doing there is trying to capture the questions that I, didn't, I wasn't able to answer up to that point. So just, that'll be a catch-all. I, I, you guys took that survey, you gave me a bunch of questions, I want to honor that, and so I'm going to answer all of those in that, or the rest of them, I should say. I've been trying to answer them as we go along, but I'll make sure they're all covered by that time. We'll catch it all in that last message, and then after that, the following Sunday, Amy and I will come in here and we'll just do an hour-long Q&A. All right? So that's, that's our plan. That's the goal. So let's start here. Today's message is on leadership and compatibility. Leadership and compatibility. And if you're here last week, and if you've actually been here for a while, and you have been listening in on what I've said about how God has designed men and women and men in relation to women and how in the created order there's something that God has designed there where in the very way he ordered creation, Adam being first and then Eve being created out of him, God has signaled to creation, to all of us, that the man bears a unique responsibility to lead in, in every way. And so it makes sense that then we would make this statement, men should take the lead in romantic relationships. And we looked at a few texts last week to try to pin this down with a little more specificity. But we want to start at this point. Men should take the lead in romantic relationships. And I had a few questions about this. And I even tried to address this last week. The question is, is what if it starts with the, the woman kind of initiating things? And, I, and my response would be, it's not so much how it begins as how it proceeds from that point on. Okay, so we want to keep that in mind. But nevertheless, it should feel, guys, like the burden is upon you to initiate because I just, that's how God has designed us as guys in relation to uh, women. And so it should, you should feel a sense that you should take the lead. So we're just going to state, start with that statement. Men should take the lead in romantic relationships. Okay? And like I said, the, the theological and biblical foundations for that were, were presented last week, and then actually every week leading up to this week, right? So I don't think we need to go back into walk through Genesis 1 and 2 again for the 15th time, 
because you guys are like, I know it's in Genesis 1 and 2 now, Derek. We've done it. So, so then we need to ask this question. Because we are seeing, by and large, again, there are exceptions to this rule, but by and large in our present society, and even within the church, there seems to be a lack of, a wholesale lack of men not taking the lead in romantic relationships. And so then we need to ask this question, what keeps men from taking the lead in romantic relationships? So we're just going to kind of think through some of the, the possibilities here. Why is it that, that more guys aren't getting together with more girls, particularly in the church, because that's what we're, we're interested in ultimately. We, don't, we see, we see a, a trajectory in the culture, and we recognize there, there are sociological reasons for that, but we want to address what's happening in the church. We are the, the body of Christ. We are the ones who've been given the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and we want to walk in a way that honors the Lord in every aspect of our life. So let's ask this question. What keeps men from taking the lead in romantic relationships? There are fewer romantic relationships happening. People are getting married at much later ages, if at all. Singleness is, is a, a, a significant, there's been a significant uptick in singleness for the last century. And as we noticed, noted in 1 Corinthians 7, singleness is not your enemy. Singleness is not a bad thing. In fact, you can, God can even give singleness as a gift and singleness is a time to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord and really hammer out things in your own life and, and, and uh, secure that walk with the Lord. But nevertheless, because of also what we saw in 1 Corinthians 7, where it, it indicated that because of sexual immorality, every uh, man should have his own wife and every wife his own, her own husband. And because of the, the desires that we naturally have that God has given us, it's it's likely that most of us should be moving towards marriage. Not all of us, but a lot of us. And so the question is, is why isn't that happening in the church by and large, or why is it taking longer than it has in the, in the past? And um, again, I, I want to talk to you like Paul talked to you. I don't want to lay constraint on, on either side. I want you to, to sense some amount of, of freedom. But, but also, guys, now talking to you guys, we do want to unearth some of the wrong reasons why a man may not be pursuing a woman, some wrong reasons why this isn't happening, and I think that's what these are. So let's work through these and maybe hopefully get some clarity for you and some encouragement. This is meant to be encouraging, though it might hurt a little bit, or a lot of it. Okay? It might be more painful than you anticipated, and had you known we were doing this this morning, you would have opted to just listen to the the recording, because he didn't want to come. Well, here you're here now, so may the Lord bless you. But, um, but listen, guys, this is how we grow. This is how I, I have grown. You know, when I first became a Christian, and I would, my background was when it came to relating to women, it was not good. And so when I came to Christ, I had a lot of garbage to work through. And it was through the sharp rebuke of older men that I was able to, to rid myself of some wrong thinking and some wrong conduct. And it hurt. But I wouldn't have it any other way. And so I encourage you guys in the same way. Listen, if, if we want to grow in Christ-likeness, we've got to go through a little pain. All right? So, why, what keeps men from taking the lead in romantic relationships? Well, we talked about this last week. It could be that you're not ready to be married. Now, this also gets over-spiritualized, I think. And so I tried to break it down into these four basic and what I think are biblical categories 
you know, guys, you're never going to be ready to be married because you're imperfect and you're a sinner. And there are issues still in your life you're working through. Remember, we talked about direction, not perfection. But, but these things do have to be in place. Number one, you have to have assurance of your salvation. Are you in Christ and, and do you know that? Because if that's not there, then you're going to bring a whole lot of instability to your relationship and then ultimately to your marriage. And you're not going to be able to lead your wife the way that God has called you to lead her. So you must have assurance of your salvation. Number two, you must be able to provide. Okay, You don't want to uh, lead a woman on and then have to lead her on indefinitely because there's no real way for you to provide for her. So you must be able to provide materially. Doesn't, and as we'll mention down here, illegitimate financial concerns, that's H. You don't need to provide a home in, um, uh, in a, Cupertino, a three-story home in Cupertino with a three-car garage. Okay? That's not what we mean by provision. Uh, a home and clothing and food. All right, and it can be pretty simple to when you first start off, which is actually a lot of fun. Uh, you must be moving in a direction of sexual purity, which means you're not addicted to pornography. If you are, then you're just not ready to be married. But what we, like we said last week, there's no reason why you can't take care of these issues, all, all of these issues. Okay, so that's the encouragement. So there must be a movement towards sexual purity in your life, and then finally firmly engaged in and accountable to the local church. And that is also going to provide stability for your relationships and your ability to move ahead in a, in a wholesome way with whomever you are interested in. So if those four things are in place, then you are ready to be married in that sense. But you're not ready unless those things are in place. So perhaps men aren't taking the lead in romantic relationships because they're not dealing with those four essential issues, right? And that may be due to a host of, of things too. Fear, fear of being exposed, flat-out laziness and idleness. It could be a host of different things. But nevertheless, those things are, need to be in place. But what's another reason? Well, it could be the fear of commitment. It could be the fear of commitment. We are paralyzed by choice in this culture. I mean, it's wonderful to have the affluence that we have. So we do have so many choices. And I mean in every, every possible category. I don't mean just with relationships. I mean in every possible category. And, it, and I have nothing, I have no problem with the abundance of choices that we have in this, uh, in our particular economic setting. I'm, I'm a free market guy, and the more competition, the better, right? So that's not my issue. But we do seem to be paralyzed by choice. We have so many choices, we don't know what to do, right? And the thing about choices is that once you decide on that particular, now let's bring it into the realm of relationships, that particular person, you are saying yes to that person and no to everyone else. And that can be a little scary because, oh no, what if I chose, choose the wrong person? Mm -hmm. And, oh, there might be somebody better along the line and I need to wait it out and I need to see. And, and once I say yes, then I'm, I'm closing the door on, on others. And, and so there's a fear of commitment. You want to leave your options open. Okay, that's another reason. Number, uh, another reason why uh, another possible reason that's keeping men from taking the lead in romantic relationships is that you have unrealistic expectations about what a relationship should look like what it should feel like what romance should be you have a kind of romantic comedy idea of 
romance and you think that a girl should walk through this door on some Sunday morning and the, the, the sky should part and the, the roof should fall, rip off and the light shines upon her and you're like, ah, and, you're, and she just love at first sight and your heart swells and, and you see your life kind of laid out before you and it, she's, she's the mother of your children and, you're just, it's just, and you think that's how it should happen. That's, that's unrealistic. That's foolish. That is not real. That's not reality. So you have some unrealistic expectations. You, or you might have unrealistic expectations about the actual person. You deserve a certain kind of woman who looks a certain kind of way. Always, she always looks perfect. She always acts perfect. She always talks perfectly. And so you just have unrealistic expectations. And that's keeping you from moving ahead with a realistic woman. You've built kind of a fantasy land of who she should be, and therefore you're unable to actually see who's in your presence, who's in your midst. So you have unrealistic expectations. You think it must start with love at first sight. Not true. If you think that's how true, holy, wholesome, good romantic relationships must begin between Christians, then you're going to be kept from marriage. You just will be. It doesn't necessarily need to start with love at first sight. Some people, they just, some start that way. Some don't start that way. A lot don't start that way. It's the, as we mentioned uh, the last two weeks, it's this building of corporate friendship where you're getting to know each other in these wholesome and church and uh, corporate environments and you're getting to, to see people and how they engage in various contexts that you get to know and, and see them and, and uh, become interested in them. But this love at first sight can be very misleading. All right, number four. Some men are kept from taking the lead in romantic relationships because they're believing the myth of compatibility. And this isn't really your fault. It's the, the fault of a compatibility culture, which says that you need to make sure that this person you're interested in meets your 20 categories of compatibility, and you need to take this test and mesh these together and make sure that all 20 are there so that you can avoid divorce and be happy for the rest of your life. And a lot of us have imbibed this. We think that they have to be from the same culture. We think they have to have the same interests. We think they have to have the same personality. We think they have to like the same things, be from the same place. All of that is not biblical at all. And so you're, we're, we're kind of believing this myth that we have to have these various com- categories of compatibility lined up. And if we don't, then we will never be happy. Unfortunately, what this does is it actually keeps people from pursuing marriage, and it builds unrealistic expectations. It it actually brings in extra-biblical, you can call this a kind of compatibility legalism, because it brings in extra-biblical standards and says, this is what will make for a healthy and happy marriage and relationship. These categories of compatibility. And we're going to, I hopefully, put to rest this Compatibility myth at the end of today's lesson. Old crushes can keep men from taking the lead in romantic relationships. What is a crush? This is a definition from the dictionary. And a crush is an intense infatuation with someone, especially someone who is unattainable or inappropriate. So a crush is a kind of fantasy. Uh, uh, a crush is, is a, a, a kind of relationship that is built up in your own mind, and it's totally 
unrealistic. And so you have this idea that kind of ties back to this unrealistic expectation, but you have this idea of who this one person is. You don't really know them, and you don't really have much of a depth of relationship with them, but you're building up this idea of who they are, and it's becoming a kind of infatuation, and it's keeping you from, as we said just a minute ago, keeping you from seeing reality because you've built up a fantasy. Okay? So old crushes can keep guys from taking the lead. Fear of greater responsibility can keep guys from taking the lead in, in pursuing a romantic relationship. You got to learn how to provide. You got to learn how to lead. You got to learn how to take care of someone other than yourself and put someone, someone else's interest ahead of your own. I mean, you, that's like the ripping and tearing of flesh sometimes. I mean, it's just painful. Like, no, it's so, it's just, can I just take care of myself, please? That's a lot easier. And then you start to realize you're not nearly as sanctified as you thought, guys. Because it's kind of easy to produce the, the spirit or the fruit of the spirit by yourself. You're gentle to yourself, you're faithful to yourself, you love yourself, right? But when you're in interfacing with somebody else who, who has the right expectations that you should that there should be some reciprocal care for one another and, and concern for that other person, it can be challenging. Now your, your schedule's being in, in, your, uh, your schedule's being uh, messed up because of how you need to put this other person first in a lot of ways and so on. And so it, it can become difficult to take on this greater responsibility. But then you start thinking down the road how you have to provide for this person, how you have to someday... Uh, provide and take care of children and how all of these things are going to take away time for yourself. There's this great, um, I think, I don't know if I've told you this, but you know, all of our kids are adopted. So Amy and I, would, we've watched a, a lot of stuff on adoption. And we, there's a family. Have I told you this about the, the dad who had 12 kids? They'd adopt, did I? Have I? Okay. So this dad had adopted 12, the, the, or this family had adopted, I think, up to 12 children. And the question that was put to this guy, and this is the most glorious answer you'll ever hear, he said, uh, so um, how is it that you decided to go from like five to 12, right? Because at some point they took on like three at a time or something like, so they went like five to eight to 12. So, so it's just like, so how do you decide to go from five to 12? He's like, once you don't have any time for yourself, you can't go any lower than that. So you might as well just keep on bringing on the kids. And I just thought that's a glorious answer. And um, you think about that, guys, and how when you start adding on responsibilities, you have less and less time for yourself or to do the things that you want to do and so on. But let me just tell you, as a, as a husband and as a dad and just having not a lot of time to myself anymore to do the things that I wanted to do, I wouldn't have it any other way. This is a... A, a wonderful calling that God has laid upon me and has laid upon a lot of men to take on responsibility, to give themselves up and give up their interests. And guess what God does? He gives you great joy. And now what I desire to do is exactly what God has called me to do. So this is, this is can, I can see how it can be daunting, but just know that as you take upon these responsibilities, God gives grace and actually gives you great joy as you obey Him. But this can keep guys from pursuing romantic relationships. 
Uh, desire for perpetual freedom. This is tied into that last one. Some guys just want to play. They just want to do their own thing. They just want to explore the world, travel, uh, take part in all the various kinds of recreation that they can get their hands on. And, and, and we're in a, a situation where, that, where you have a great affluence, even regardless of your job, because of the country we live in, you have great affluence, a lot of time, and a lot of expendable income. And so, man, boy, the temptation to just give yourself up to play is a, is a big temptation. And you don't want anybody to impede that. And a relationship will impede that. Marriage will impede that. Children will impede on that freedom, impede that freedom. Illegitimate financial concerns. Maybe you're just thinking, boy, I live in this area and no one can afford a home. I'll never be able to afford a home, at least not for the next 10 years. And you just, I can't get married until I have some certain financial things in place. And it's true, you shouldn't be thinking about marriage until you actually can legitimately provide, but you don't need to provide a three-story house in the heart of Cupertino in order to be married or to pursue a romantic relationship. Guys, if you're willing to work hard and provide as best you can, and there you can look forward and, and you can see that you can, you can support a, 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 a wife in a reasonable way, then you have no reason to uh, to not be pursuing a romantic relationship if you desire to. You've got to unearth this illegitimate financial concern and, and set it aside. Fear of rejection. This is probably one of the biggest, right? Fear of rejection. It could be based on your personality. It could be based on your background. That's, those are possibilities. You're just maybe more of a quiet, reserved kind of guy, that's cool, that's fine, God has made us all different, that's okay, some of us are more outgoing, some of us are more reserved, that's okay. But all of us are called to be courageous. All of us are called to step out in faith. And guess what? Asking a, a, a lady out is a delightful call to take a bit of a risk. And you might get rejected. And that's okay. Because then you you thank the Lord for the opportunity, you pick yourself back up by the power of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of friends, and you go try again. It's often the case that fear of rejection can just be grounded in pride, because you think you're God's gift to women, and if you get rejected, well, I can't, your ego can't handle that kind of thing. But just in, a, in an important, helpful little verse from Solomon at the end of his life, Ecclesiastes 11.4, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, if you're always looking out on the horizon going, oh man, you know what, I better not plant today because look at the, there, there is some clouds gathering over the horizon, and if I plant today, you know, they could come and wipe that out. Or it's, it's sunny the next day, you're like, that's sunny today, but you know what, it could, it could rain and, and cause trouble tomorrow, so I'm, I'm not going to sow today either. Right? And a guy, you could, you, could, you could look at it and you'd be like, you know, I'm just not ready, or if I, if I talk to her, I might get rejected, or and, and, and if it, or it's going to go badly, or it's going to be awkward, or, right? And you have this fear of rejection, and you're, not, you're just observing the wind and not ever sowing. So there's this fear of rejection. And then finally, this is, this is so devastating, and, and it just grieves me because it's so ubiquitous in our culture, but the addiction to pornography, that'll just wipe guys out, just wipe them out. Wipes out their desires for uh, a romantic relationship, 
disables us from talking and engaging with women in a healthy and good way. It skews our minds so they can't recognize true beauty when it's standing right in front of us or in the same room with us. So this addiction to pornography has to be dealt with definitively and decisively, guys. And I'm telling you, if this is an issue, you've got to talk to either your trusted brothers here in the church. You can come and uh, talk to me, talk to the elders, but get this dealt with because if you haven't noticed it already, if it's just something that's in your life, you haven't noticed it already, it's wreaking havoc on your ability to even recognize how romance should go or to engage or initiate romance, okay? So, this, but this can be an issue, okay? So what we want to do is we want to take this now and recognize that there is no reason at all, okay? Here's the encouragement, guys. There's no reason at all why you can't overcome every single one of those issues. There's no reason at all. You have Christ, you have His Word, you have His Spirit, you have His church, and you can overcome every single one of these. Okay? What does leadership look like in a romantic relationship? Well, I would say that just naturally initiating the relationship. Initiating it. Guys, you're in this community, you're in this corporate setting, and I know, you're, again, you're thinking, okay, what about online dating? We're going to address that, not next week, but the week following. But the first step is to initiate the relationship. Ask them out. Pursue her. And um, we had some good conversation around the table last night at uh, Alice and Paul's wedding about this issue. Um, and the question came up is, so... You know, some, some of you guys have experienced where, had the experience where the initial asking out has been, from the woman's end, very intimidating because you feel like, or you know that dating as Christians is not something you do to just kind of hang out or to hook up, right? It's not the hookup culture, right? And so you get asked out and it's all of a sudden, whoa, what's going on here? This is making me nervous because... You know, on the first date, is he going to ask me to marry him or he's going to start talking about marriage or who knows what's going to happen? And I don't think it has to be that high pressure at all. In fact, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Because let's look down here at the, the next point leading the relationship in a God glorifying direction, which begins with here it is taking time to let the relationship develop. Taking time to let the relationship develop. Remember, we're going from, uh, we had it on the board a couple days, a couple weeks ago. You're starting with, corporate friendship, getting together as much as possible in groups, hanging out, getting to know one another like that, and then it moves to some sort of exclusivity because now you're asking her out, right? It's a little exclusive. And you're looking for clarity now. Clarity is going to take a little bit of time. And there shouldn't be a whole lot of pressure. And this is where the community comes into play. The, the church body needs to be mature enough, and now I'm talking to the, this group as a whole, the church body needs to be mature enough so that it's not a public high school. And that people are snickering, going, hee, 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 they went on a date, isn't that? No, no. That just adds pressure, okay? Let people get to know each other without, without 
making it as though now once they have started, once they've started getting to, to know each other a little bit in this kind of way, that now all of a sudden they must get married or else. Okay? I think that's something that's developed in, in a kind of a strong church culture that recognizes the importance of dating with intentionality. Yes, you're not just dating to, to flirt and to hang out and to have fun. If you have a desire to be married, then you are here it is being, you must be intentional. Okay? But you don't want to throw on a bunch of pressure onto the relationship. You're seeking clarity, and that's just going to take a little bit of time. Nothing wrong with that, okay? But, so you want to take time to let the relationship develop while also being intentional to not lead the woman on. That's the wrong kind of leadership. You don't want to lead her on, okay? I'll talk more about that in a minute. You want to take time, let the relationship develop, while also being intentional and not leading the woman on. How else do guys lead? By showing respect and honor to the woman. By showing respect and honor to her. The way you speak to her. Love is not rude. Love is kind. And again, we're, we're, we can talk that way because you're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Okay? So you owe her, in terms of your relationship with her in Christ, you owe her respect and honor and, and a genuine love and care for her. And love is kind. It is not boastful, like we talked about last week. You're not just talking about yourself the whole time. Love is not rude. The woman, as uh, Peter in 1 Peter 7 characterizes her, classifies her, is a weaker vessel. And that's, that's not a bad thing. That means she's delicate. She's to be treated as, a, as something very fine and precious. Okay? She is worthy and deserving of honor and respect. And you, when you lead like that, that will be well received. And you need to do that anyways because she is your sister in Christ. Guiding the conversation to edifying topics. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. This is Ephesians chapter 4. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Guys, this is up to you. But only, what is, how does Paul put it here? I'm sorry, it was Ephesians 4, 29. Did I say 32? Uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Hey guys, this has to do in your conversations. You're, you're leading and guiding the conversation. Not, you're not dominating, but you're, you're guiding. You want to, to build her up, talk about things that are edifying. You can talk about fun things, uh, silly things. Yeah, do all that. Uh, and enjoy it, but nevertheless, you do want to be moving things and, and talking about things that build each other up. You should lead in planning dates, outings, and times together. These are just kind of practical recommendations. Again, does it mean that the, the woman can't do these things? I think I had this question, so who pays for dinner? Guys, I think you pay for dinner most of the time. Does it mean that the woman can't say, hey, can, can, I, can I treat you to something fun? I have this idea and I want to do it. Can I do it? Yeah, of course, right? But nevertheless, guys, showing initiative, taking initiative, caring, providing, 
can, can, can happen in these, these ways, planning dates, outings, times together, and um, paying for meals and, and so on. doesn't have to be all the time, but it should be most of the time. Probably, well, I don't want to say the most, one of the most important things on here is guarding the woman's purity. This should go without saying, but this is 1 Thessalonians 4. God is deeply concerned with your sexual purity. We're going to talk about this specifically next week. But if this is violated, you're ruining things for her, for you, your relationship, and any other future relationships you guys could possibly have. The sexual sin wounds deeply, and it causes scar tissue. It's never fully, uh, fully healed. And you're fooling yourself to think that it is. It's never fully healed. You will carry sexual sin with you the rest of your life. And uh, sexual purity is a beautiful, delicate thing to be protected, and you want to be careful to protect hers. And this has to do with uh, physical intimacy, and we'll, we'll talk specifically about that next week. But it also, I think, has to do with what you're exposing her to. Okay, what kind of movies, shows, things you're watching, uh, talking about together, exposing her to. All right. You're going to lead by seeking clarity before intimacy. Remember clarity? You don't just go from friendship to exclusivity to intimacy. You have to get clarity first. We talked about this last week. Clarity about each other's character and convictions. Character about whether or not this could lead to marriage. And this is, guys, you should feel a, a kind of burden on your shoulders to, to be making this happen. And the reason why this is so important is because if, this, if there is clarity about, yes, this is a good thing, then you, have clar- you, have, you can move ahead in a good conscience in pursuing more relational intimacy. And if not, then you can go back to corporate friendship without damage to the relationship and, and, and decreasing the amount of potential awkwardness between you. By clear, he can lead by clearly expressing his intentions. Now, this can be gradual, as I just mentioned. You don't want a high-pressure first date kind of situation. But you do need to, guys, be leading and articulating what you're doing and what you're hoping. And, hey, at the end of the, the first date, you say, hey, this was a lot of fun. Could we do this again? Would you want to do this again? And she, if she says, I need to think about it, that's okay. She might say yes. But nevertheless, you want to be expressing your intentions, and maybe uh, some down, down the road you're saying, hey, I really like how this is going, and, and uh, can we think about more, getting more serious in our relationship, and uh, I'm not doing this to just uh, to hang out and to have fun. I think about dating as a means to moving towards marriage, and, and when the time is appropriate to start talking in these ways, but you need to be the one who's expressing these intentions first. Next, just, just vital here, just as, this, is, this will be stabilizing for you and probably will help you in all these other things. Making the local church a vital hub of dating activity. So involving the local church in being in the local church, doing things in the settings of the local church, doing things in groups. So yes, as you move into exclusivity, you're going to be doing things by yourself, but you don't want to, as we said last week, isolate yourself from the body, Right? 
Because individuals can isolate themselves from the body, and that causes nothing but problems. That's eight, Proverbs 18.1. That just messes people up. I mean, they just, when people isolate themselves from the body, they just spin off into all kinds of confusion. Same kind of thing when couples isolate themselves from the body as they are seeking to get to know each other, which is a wonderful thing, but nevertheless, it can cause them to, as a, as a couple now, to start engaging in things that are uh, inappropriate and, and f- fail to seek wisdom and so on. So you want to make the local church a vital hub of dating activity. Next, you want to seek wisdom from other men about the relationship. Ladies, you want to do this too, but I'm talking about guys in leadership. Ask to get lunch with older guys in the church. Ask to, to meet with uh, older, wiser men in the church and talk to them about uh, relationships. Talk to your elders. Uh, talk to me. And then finally, this is an important one, guys. Buckle up. You can lead by being happy and not moody. I'm serious. Don't be a moody boyfriend. They're the worst. They are the worst. So are moody husbands. I should know because Amy lives with one. All right, so. No, I'm serious. One of, I've, I've, I've seen it. You know what my kids need? You know what Amy needs? They need a holy husband and daddy. They also need a happy husband and daddy. It just changes everything. It sets the tone for the whole house. So, guys, don't be miserable and moody. Oh, my goodness, guys. We are so tempted to be moody. So let's be happy, and it'll bless our, your girlfriends. I don't have a girlfriend. I have one girlfriend. She's been my girlfriend since January, no, June 2000. Four? July? Nah, I can't remember. She, she can remember. <laughs> Q&A. You ask her in the Q&A. Our first date, what, now I'll save that for the Q&A. Some of you know, but I'll save that. Okay. Is the woman to submit to her boyfriend slash fiance while dating? The answer is no. no. Ephesians 5.25, who is who's the only person that in terms of uh, their, that relationship, who's a, a woman to submit to? Just her husband, only. Ephesians 5.25. A woman is under no biblical obli- obligation to submit to her boyfriend or fiancé. Now, you might be thinking, well, then what's this stuff about leadership? You are, as a man, called and equipped by God to lead, so that's what you're doing. You're leading the relationship in a particular way, which is good. But your decisions don't ultimately affect that person the same way they do in the marriage. So me and Amy are one flesh, and the decisions that I make for the family directly affect her. They affect her financial situation. They affect the home situation. They affect where we're living. Why? Because she's my wife, and her calling is to submit to my leadership. The decisions I make are going to to affect us because... She comes along with me, right? Ladies, he can do something, say something, lead in particular, and you are free at every moment to say, nope, nope, no thank you, okay? And he can't come along and say, you got to submit to me. If he does, come and talk to me, and then I'll talk to him. Or I don't know, maybe send him to me, I don't know. (laughs) But no, there should be, this is, we need to make a very clear line of demarcation here, okay? However, now this is 
The second point, we have to follow up with this. As the relationship develops, a woman should encourage her boyfriend's leadership and happily follow his attempts to lead the relationship in a God-glorifying direction. So you don't want to be uh, uh, mean and stubborn and this sort of thing. You want to encourage his leadership, but you are not formally called to submit to him in any way, shape, or form. So I, I do admit that this requires a lot of wisdom. This is just kind of, you know, the Bible has two categories. You're either single or you're married. Doesn't give us a whole lot for this, this awkward, weird time of, and even, of dating, an even more weird time of, of engagement, because what do you, how, do you, how do you manage these, these principles? Well, again, local church, wisdom. Uh, I think if you're in the place where wisdom can grow, which is in healthy corporate local church environment, then I think you're able to manage and navigate these things better. Finally, under this section, both the, both the man and the woman are fully engaged in seeking God's will and pursuing clarity about their relationships. Both of you. Ladies, you're not just laying back and being thoughtless about it and just kind of going with the flow. That's not godly femininity, right? Yes, he is leading in a uh, direction but you are also engaged, and which is why Paul, again, 1 Corinthians 7, 20, 20, uh, 7 39, I have it, had it wrong last week, it wasn't 7 40, it's 7 39, that you are free to marry whomever you wish, only in the Lord. So you are not required by the mere pursuit of this man to marry him. All right? Both of you are seeking clarity on whether or not this could be a good fit. Speaking of fit, now let's move into this last section as we close it out. Men and women should think biblically about compatibility. Men and women should think biblically about compatibility. And I guarantee you, most of us are probably not thinking biblically about it because of the cultural setting that we're in. And I just read an article even this morning that was just atrocious. I mean, just the things that he was suggesting in this area. He wasn't a, he wasn't a believer, but that's part of why I was reading it, because of how this concept of compatibility will do nothing but confuse you, keep you from marriage. And actually, you know what? Let's skip down to D, and I'll just say this and then back up. It will make you more selfish than you already are. Thinking wrongly about compatibility will make you more selfish than you already are, and I already am. We are called by the Spirit to put off selfishness, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But what, what's going on here? What's the word compatible mean? It means you're capable of existing together in harmony. And a lot of the date, dating stuff and dating culture will tell you you need to have these big categories of, and typically there are a lot of categories of compatibility so that you can know, do, do we work together? Can we live together in harmony? And I saw one definition say, without conflict. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you're snickering a little bit. You're like, without conflict? What kind of nonsense is that? It is a bunch of nonsense. Thank you. Um, biblically speaking, there are only three areas of compatibility. This is totally radical. I would get laughed out of the room at a, at a, you know, a relationship convention, you know, <laughs> at, a, at a, a relationship bloggers convention. I could just see it now. <laughs> They'd laugh me out of the room. The first one is sexual compatibility. Are you a man and is she a woman? Guess what we started 
did we ask this? Did we ask this to you guys? I can't remember. Did now we have to ask. <laughs> now we have to ask. Have you always been a man? Have you always been a woman? I know it's. Uh, but nevertheless, sexual compatibility. Uh, that's the first. Uh, their answers were yes. So, <laughs> did we ask that? I can't. Okay, we did. Um, so, kind Dana and premarital counseling. That's the. That's the. What's going on right now? All right. Um, the first one is sexual compatibility, man and woman. It's pretty basic, right? Pretty simple. Okay. Number two, spiritual compatibility. Are they a believer? And I'm, I'm attaching this not because I'm trying to add something on to that basic category of believer, but only to say that the way you, are, you have confidence that this person is a believer is if they are growing in grace. So are they a believer and are they growing in grace? Is there a love for Christ? Is there a love for truth? Is there fruit of the Spirit? Is there a desire for holiness? Is there a, do they have a tender spirit towards the Word? Do they have a willingness to make costly decisions in order to follow Christ? These are a few of the elements that are an indication that a person is growing in grace. And again, this is not perfection. This is the direction of their life. And I think what you want to look for is that sensitivity, that tender spirit towards the Word of God. Not a perfection, but a willingness to grow where they need to grow. A willingness to submit themselves to the Word of God. So there needs to be spiritual compatibility. And then finally, there are gender roles compatibility. And the reason why I add this is because, as I've said, this is the very, very kind of essence of your relationship. How you engage and relate to one another in this area of leadership and submission and roles in the family and in the home, that is how you relate. This is your relationship. So if there is disagreement, at fundamental disagreement at this point, I'm not talking about you know, some details here and there, if there's fundamental disagreement at this point where one of you has a particular idea of what Scripture teaches about men and women's roles and men in relation to women and how that should look in the, the marriage and in the church, and uh, the other person has a different view of that, then one of two things has to happen. Once you're married, one of you two, okay, you, this person believes you know what the Bible is saying, this person believes you know what the Bible is saying, either one of you two has to violate your conscience in order for there to be less conflict, or you have to just be willing to live with perpetual conflict in your relationship and just be miserable your whole life. So what do you want? Um, so that's why I argue that there needs to be gender roles compatibility at this point. But these are the only three. I just cannot think of any others, biblically speaking. Sexual compatibility, spiritual compatibility, gender roles compatibility. And that again, that doesn't mean that just because these things are in place, you must now marry that person that you are dating who is interested in you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.39. In the Lord. Marry whomever you wish only in the Lord. But this does, I think, clear away a lot of the confusion. Because of number two, actually, this is, a, this is a sobering thought, but it should be a freeing one. Actually, two sinners will be perpetually incompatible. So contemporary notions of compatibility are, are inherently misleading. Theologically, they are wrong because you are perpetually incompatible because you're two sinners, right? 
the, 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 you guys are snickering at that one definition of compatible that suggested that you're, that means that you're living without conflict because you know that that's not a possibility. As believers, the, the Christian home should be rich in forgiveness, which implies there is sin to be forgiven. So in terms of compatibility, we need to forget about the 20 categories, and we need to consider what God has actually laid out, recognize the reality of sin that's going to afflict our relationships no matter what, and even let that reality clear away kind of our wrong expectations and misconceptions about what romance looks like and what marriage relationships look like. And then finally recognize this last thing, and this is where we'll close. Often our expectations for compatibility are grounded in selfishness. How is that? This is how we think about it. This is how we're thinking. This is what compatibility implies. We're saying, how do I know if the one I've found is the one for me? How do I know if the one I found is the one for me? Who makes me happy? Now, if you think about a text like Acts 20.35, which says what? It's more blessed to give than receive, or Philippians 2, 3 and following, which says that we are to consider others as more important than ourselves and consider others' interests before our own and not just consider our own interests. Those two verses alone basically overturn the entire dating industry. Because what the dating industry is telling you is continue to cultivate this idea of searching for the one who makes you wonderfully happy. Instead of saying, who can I be for her? How can I be the one for her? How can I be the one for him? So that we are now seeking to cultivate godliness in our own life, godly masculinity, godly femininity, so that we can be the, the kind of person and in, in, in come into a relationship where I'm seeking to serve and love and bless another person, not looking for the one who will make me everlastingly happy. And the reason why these can't ultimately work is because you are now placing upon someone a burden they cannot even bear. So not only are you acting in selfishness, but now you're placing upon them a burden that they can't even bear. They will disappoint you. I've disappointed Amy countless of times. And she knows that she's disappointed me as well. But that doesn't make us incompatible in this sense. And we seek to be servants of one another. And Jesus is right. That's where true happiness is found. So most of us need to flip almost entirely the way we think about relationships. How can I be the one for her? Ladies, how can you be the one for him? Okay, we got five minutes. I'll stop right there and see if you have any questions. Yes, Lucia. Um, last week when you were talking about seeking clarity before intimacy, you talked about relational intimacy. So yes. I was wondering what, how do you define relational intimacy? Because uh, a couple could be moving in greater exclusivity and relational intimacy and that yeah, so I've been, I've been thinking about this and probably we'll talk more about it next week because of 
how we need to talk about um, physical intimacy, because that's going to be a, a kind of, not a component, but a corollary. And so, it, what is the stuff of intimacy? You can, you can relate it to, uh, in some measure, to your relationships that you have in, with your, your same-sex relationships, uh, your same-sex friendships. What, what, but what's the stuff of intimacy? It's getting to know the other person, their hopes, their dreams, who they really are, their personality, their background, what they love, what they hate, um, who they are, how they respond to things, what they desire. Uh, you want to grow deeper. You're growing deeper in knowing them as in their relationship with the Lord Jesus, their spiritual life, their family life. So basically, the stuff of intimacy is knowledge about the other person. Knowledge about the other person that's happening within an exclusivity. So that's not merely happening within a corporate environment. So really, it's, 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 just, it's the stuff of relationship, but it's happening in an exclusive uh, uh, relationship. It's now male and female, and by God's uh, mystery, there is, a, there is an intimacy that grows in a way that's unique from corporate friendship and in a way that's unique from even same-sex uh, friendships that, that can also be very deep and, and close. And, and deep. I, 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 I distinguish them from, I called the relationship between same-sex friendships and romant, uh, romantic relationships, I called this relational depth and this relational intimacy because there is a difference between the way men and women were made to interact with one another. So I just, again, I, I just think it's, it's the stuff of relationships, the stuff of getting to know one another and it, 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 when you're in that exclusive relationship, it grows at a depth, and it grows at a female, male-female romantic depth. Uh, but that's, I know that's kind of almost using the words to define the word itself, so I, I apologize, but that's the best I can do for right now. Um, so, yeah. And I think the re... Well, I'll stop right there, and I'll save the rest for next week, so... Sorry, Lucy, if it's not... That's, that's not good, good enough, but... That's, that's how I tend to think about it. Yeah, Dana. I have a question about spiritual compatibility. Yes. How important are considerations of like, maturity in your oh, right. between a guy and a girl? And that's kind of a second part to that is what about potential differences on certain doctrinal convictions? Yeah, so uh, I've been asked this before. And the, so you could have potentially, so let's back up to the, the, you said the, the first one was spiritual maturity and the other one was uh, doctrinal convictions. So the reason why, so doctrinal convictions I think are important, but I think underlying that, so under, underlying that must be a sensitivity on both of your parts to be willing to yield whatever to whatever scripture teaches. And so I don't immediately tell people, well boy, if you're an Arminian and she's a Calvinist, well, psh, you should just forget it right now. <laughs> Um, but in, in, uh, have a willingness to, to both, as you're talking about the Lord, talking about Scripture, learning in these kinds of environments, to, to always be willing to yield to what Scripture says, which would be your goal anyways. So, um, it could be, it could be that as you are moving in the relationship, there are some hurdles that either, either of you can um, surmount, and which is, I think is why Paul gives that practical word of wisdom in 1 Corinthians 7.39, you can marry whomever you wish, only in the Lord. So 
it could come down to you're like, this is just uh, so important that I'm not sure that this would, this would, um, this would work. On the other hand, um, we have to be careful of having wrong expectations about what our re marriage relationship is going to look like. And Amy and I have different theological convictions based on how, where she, uh, I mean, we're generally agreed, but she has different uh, opinions than I do coming out of her background, but they don't affect our love for one another and our enjoying one another and our willingness to serve one another and our, both of our willingness to yield to whatever scripture teaches. I've had to adjust some areas. She's had to adjust some areas. So I don't, I don't think it's a, an issue where you, you can write it off completely if there are differences there, but you do have the wisdom of 7, 1 Corinthians 7.39 to allow for uh, an out if, if you think it's, if it's best. Now the first, first issue of maturity, this is hard because it's a bit nebulous, I think. Yes, you can have a less mature man marrying a more mature woman or uh, a more mature man marrying a less mature woman. It's just really hard to kind of chart out exactly what that looks like in terms of maturity because he may be mature in certain areas and less mature in other areas and he may be less mature in the areas that you really want to be more mature in. And, and, and so it's just, this is, this is really hard. And so you want to be careful I do think, guys, now just talking to the guys, I do think that we have a tendency to be intimidated by the women that we perceive are particularly godly, mature, walking in wisdom, loving the Lord, serving, uh, just, just having an aura, of, uh, an aura of just real maturity and godliness. I think we are intimidated by that, which actually keeps us from pursuing them, which I don't think is right either. Uh, Guys, don't let that be an excuse for you to just, just be, oh, I'll just be immature, it doesn't really matter. But no, but to, but to not be afraid to marry someone whom you perceive to be excelling you in godliness. That's okay. And, and ladies, if you have a guy who is, is willing to move in setting aside these things and pursuing these things, then like I said before, be willing to at least give him an initial uh, opportunity and see if some of these vital things can't grow. So um, I think that's what I, I, we just need to be care, careful about this nebulous concept of maturity. More maturity, less, more mature, less mature. And um, at least judging it on our, by ourselves. It's probably helpful to have others judge that for us as they look into the relationship. But guys, don't be intimidated by the ladies who are just super godly in, in this church. Like, you should be going after them, actually. And, and, and ladies, be careful about how you're assessing uh, maturity. Make sure that it's biblical and uh, perhaps even seek the wisdom of, of others as they're looking from another perspective. So, Yeah, question. Oh. In that context, like just because you go to church and they think that they are saved, 
or he lives in, or he or she lives in Texas. All there's a con saying that all people who live in Texas are Christians, right? I have a lot of believing friends in Texas, but I. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. If I was Catholic, do you do you take in the same context, like to understand whether the person you're pursuing is really saved? So let me just tell you, you'll never ever know that. You can't know if a person's really saved. You can't, know, you can't know anybody in here 100% if they're really saved. You can't see into anybody's heart. Everybody in here professes Christ. At least I, I believe I met most of you. You profess Christ. You give a, a uh, reasonable, uh, credible profession of faith and testimony. I trust that you know the Lord. And I rejoice that you know the Lord and that you love Him. And the evidence I gave, love for Christ, love for the truth, uh, spiritual fruit, fruit of the Spirit... Um, a desire for holiness, tender spirit towards the Word of God, a willingness to make costly decisions to follow Christ, that is the best evidence, okay? So you want to rest it on that. You don't want to rest it on religious activity, religious talk, um, these kinds of things, but these are the things you, you look for, okay? What you're not, you, you want to have confidence, because that's all you can have. You want to have confidence that that person is a believer, okay? You, what you're not looking for is some sort of uh, sky parting, God saying, yes, she is a believer. <laughs> because you'll, you can't have that. That's not, the Lord has not allowed us to see into the heart. Okay? And here's what's important. I, one of the questions that I got in the survey was, I'm afraid that I might marry someone and then they'll walk away from the Lord. That's very unlikely to happen if you are recognizing these things that I mentioned, these kinds of really important evidences. But also, you can't ultimately know that anyways. Right? You can be confident, and you should be confident, so that you're marrying a believer, because that's what Scripture commands you, but you ultimately can't secure that in the end. So that's a good question. Be confident that the person you are marrying is a believer, based on this really... Uh, important evidence, but you ultimately can't see into the future to know uh, how things are going to go, okay? But don't let that keep you. I don't think that's a, a grounds for not getting marriage because the Lord has given us evidences in His Word. These are the evidences to look for. And when these evidences are in place and there, you can have confidence that that person is a believer. That's why we have our membership thing here at, our, at CBC, we may let people unwittingly into membership who are unbelievers, but never wittingly. That's why we listen to testimony. We want to hear the gospel. You articulate the gospel because we are only allowing, as far as we can tell, and have the competence allowing um, uh, believers into membership. Okay, well, we need to wrap up. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this vital study. I pray that you'd give help to each person here to give them understanding, give, them guys, give the guys confidence in moving ahead and leadership. And I just pray that you'd bless uh, both the guys and the ladies in this group. Thank you for what you're doing in this group. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.